When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Almost everybody quits at everything. They all give up a New Year's resolution. They all quit the big goal in their life. They all quit. I'm getting emotional right now. People quit, dude. It's so heartbreaking. Gentlemen, we're here to talk about habits, changing your life, getting unstuck. What do you have for me? So I'll start off with what are the most common things you see people do that holds them back from success? Ego is a big one. In fact, that is the biggest. You need a self-correcting mechanism. So at the beginning, we all suck. Doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're a little kid, whether you're deep into your career, when you're embarking on something new, you're gonna be bad at it. Mm -hmm. You need to leverage what is, the, the more I push for success, the more I realize everything is just a scientific method recontextualized for something. Mm-hmm. You have a guess, you try something, you fail to some degree, you assess what worked, what didn't work, you then reformulate your hypothesis and try again. The problem is if you think you're amazing and in failure it hurts who you are and your sense of self, you don't want to see the truth and you will hide the truth from yourself extraordinarily effectively or you just won't try again. Oh, that didn't work. Not because of me, it didn't work because of some other thing and you'll externalize it. The flip side of that coin though is if you take everything on yourself oh my God, I messed up, I made a mistake, I'm stupid, I'm wrong, I did this poorly, this didn't work because of me, then you won't try again because you've just completely deflated yourself. So you have to walk this weird middle ground of having an ego, but making sure that your ego is based on something that makes you stare nakedly at your inadequacies. And the only way to do that, that I have found, is to identify as the learner. So most people wanna be right, good, smart. In fact, let's talk about Nietzsche. It's all will to power. Everybody needs to have that thing where they're like, because of this, I am a badass. This is why somebody at a toll booth or whatever flexes their muscle or somebody at the TSA, I've recently traveled and people wanna flex their muscle there. Because you need something that makes you feel like you have power. Will to power, like as you, look, I am brand new to Nietzsche. I don't wanna make it sound like I'm a scholar here. But it was the first thing that allowed me to understand what's happening in culture right now, which is people fighting for ideas that seem to me self-evidently self-destructive, and I could not understand why they would do that. But once you realize that, oh, if I can't beat you in open competition, then I just wanna tear you down. When you realize that that need to show that you are powerful, to make progress, to strive for something, to be able to bend the world to you in some way, then you realize if you can't make that will to power serve something that's high functioning in terms of pushing you towards fulfillment, you're gonna, you're gonna be in a self-destructive spiral. And so that's where most people live, is they are running the scientific method of hypothesis, they try something, but when it doesn't work, and it won't, what do they do? And if at that moment they realize, oh, I have this need to solve this, to move forward, to make progress, but I need to do that in a high-functioning, self-aware way, 
And the best thing that you can do there is see yourself, okay, I'm the learner. I want to see what I've done wrong. That is my will to power. My will to power is improvement itself. And to do that, I have to really accept the things that I'm not currently good at. Most people can't do that. Most people are stuck in the psychological immune system of I want the will to power, but I'm gonna lie to myself, assume that I'm good, right, better, faster, stronger, and for that all to be true, anything that is saying that I messed up or I'm bad, I have to knock down. And that's where people get in a self-destructive loop. Instead, you need to be asking, what can I do differently that would be more effective? So I think I'm good at staring at my inadequacy. I got that part. And then now I'm looking at, I don't have the will to power. And so I think sometimes I get to like that. What do you mean by that? Because you do every, the will to power is innate. Meaning you want it, you yeah. want power, you want to be okay. able to look at the things in your life that you don't like and change them in some way. Yeah, so I, I want to do that and then because I'm inadequate right now, I get that frustrated feeling of like, God damn it, why am I not, why am I not be able to like execute at the level I want? Why am I not sticking to the habits that I want to stick to? And it's just, you know, like I sometimes I intellectually know the answer, but then I just get frustrated with like, I'm not there yet. And it, sometimes it can be like, it can be almost like paralyzing. So what do you think? So it's interesting because you're letting something very useful spill over into not being useful. So you, the reason that you've had as much success as you've had is because it's never enough for you. You're constantly frustrated. You want to do more. Like when I think about how much you do, it's very impressive. You hold a lot of things. The reason you hold a lot of things is because it's never been enough for you. You always want more, you always want to get better. So that's good, right? That's, that ambition has led you to where you are. My ambition has led me to where I am. But sometimes it feels pathological. I feel like I'm too ambitious, I want too much. And it drives me into this corner of taking on like everything, everything, ah! And whenever I think about the remedy and I think, oh, I would tell somebody else, do less. I don't like that feeling, I don't want to do less. Mm -hmm. I want to get stronger, I want to do more. So you want that. That's nature going, hey, I need you to go out and fight and do really dangerous things, right? If you think about yourself from an evolutionary standpoint, dude, so boys and girls, read about history, okay? I'm, I'm becoming obsessed with history. Humans are murderers, murderers. Dude, we kill, we rape, we pillage. It's crazy. In all of us is that animal. Now the question is, why would we develop that from an evolutionary standpoint? Because for millions of years, it was red in tooth and claw. It was so hard to stay alive, to go out to get food. At the risk of derailing your answer, reading the book, The Empire of the Summer Moon, was transformative for me. It, it may be the book that made me fall in love with history, like just completely and totally. Because I realized the world used to be completely untamed and that the Great Plains of America, which I had heard people refer to but never knew what it meant, there was a part of America that was so flat and there was basically nothing there that they referred to it as oceanic, meaning that it was like being lost at sea. It was wow. just so big, so expansive, so open, so nothing that to cross it was like trying to cross the ocean. Now, we conquered that. And when you think about what it would take for an animal to be so good that it can conquer every element of this planet, whew, it's, it is a level of intensity, beast mode, all of that, that in a modern context, one is not celebrated, 
it's ridiculed, it's tried to be pushed out of people, but I think it's actually incredibly powerful. It is the thing that's allowed us to create all of this, to travel to other planets. We've literally gone to other planets. Like, that's crazy. So you've got this amazing thing that pushes you, but there becomes a point where it spills over into pathology and you start going, I'm a loser because I haven't gone to the moon yet. I'm a loser because we haven't colonized Mars. So you want it to push you, you want to be dissatisfied, but you wanna recognize when it begins to diminish who you are. So you need to be able to stare into the abyss of the great plains and go, I need to become capable of crossing this thing. But as you get into it and you start to feel terrified, it feels too big, it feels too much, I'm not capable of this, you have to back off and go, what is the most efficient thing I could do with the next 15 minutes of my life? And that's where most people break. Either they stare out into the abyss and they can't take the first step, not your problem, okay? You'll take that first step. But then as you get out there, the very thing that gave you the guts to take that first step begins to chip away at you. And so you have to remember you're an animal having a biological experience. That's just your brain messing with you. So do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. Once the pathology begins to spill into the motivation, back off, don't allow yourself to give in to it. Instead, and all I do in that moment, because I have a more aggressive negative voice, I think, than most people. It's why I keep pushing forward despite my success. But when it begins to diminish my sense of self, then I go, I don't allow myself to repeat that because you are what you repeat. You're gonna think it, don't worry about that. But you are what you repeat. And so if you start repeating, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, then you're not gonna get better. So in that moment where my brain just starts going, you're a loser, you're not good enough for this, you're not smart enough, you're not strong enough, fast enough, whatever, I go, what could I do with the next 15 minutes to get a little bit smarter, a little bit faster, a little bit better? And then I get into skill acquisition mode. Once I'm in skill acquisition mode, boom, now I can move forward. And so one of my habit loops is that is to pattern interrupt my negative thinking and shift myself back into skill acquisition. If you live in skill acquisition, then it'll all stack. And that's when I look into somebody that is as young as you. I think, dude, if you knew what I know, which is in 10 years, you're gonna look back over your shoulder and you won't recognize yourself. Because all these little moments where you were too weak to do something that you wanted and it really made you angry, you actually got a little bit stronger because you were trying and trying and trying, and you're, it, it's invisible. But dude, when you have a 10-year window, ooh, it's really awesome, but you have to keep going. And the only way to do that is to stay in problem-solving, skill acquisition. So Tom, you're a super creative person. What habits do you have to maximize your creativity and to like get better in that realm without feeling like you're not using your time effectively or how do you handle yeah. that? Welcome to the most painful knife between my ribs question I can imagine. The reason that one's hard for me is you can force creativity. And so I hate it when people say that you can't, but even to force it, it takes a lot of time and it's wildly inefficient. I can't remember who said this, but I'm gonna say Einstein who said that progress often looks like staring out the window. So the habits that I've tried to create in my life are my version of staring out the window, which is meditation. So when I wake up in the morning, one, I try to wake up really early. So this morning I woke up at 3.24. That is a magical time to wake up because I know that there's gonna be hours and hours and hours before the sun even rises, which feel like bonus hours to me. 
but that I need to get up and start being efficient. So I have a rule that I'm out of bed in 10 minutes or less. So I woke up at 324, that means that I need to be out of bed by 334. And so I hold myself accountable to that. Now ironically today, my feet hit the floor right as it clicked over into the 11th minute, so I was a little annoyed with myself, but I got up and got going. Can I just jump in, like, in that 11 minutes where you're just like, I don't wanna get out of bed. Yeah. I... Every day of my life, I don't wanna get out of bed. And I, I don't, people don't believe me, but that really is true, literally every day. I've often wondered if biologically there's just a thing in my brain, like the neurochemistry, I don't clear that part out fast enough, I don't know. But I find it difficult to get out of bed every day. So I have to have rules and habits to force myself. So I get out of bed, my clothes are literally on the floor next to it, I get dressed, I go down, I meditate. Today I meditated first, usually I work out first. But to get into a creative state, I need to deal with the biology. So I'm gonna sit down, close my eyes in the darkest space that I can find. If I can't find a dark space, I will literally put a sweatshirt or something over my face. That just really helps me for whatever reason. I close my eyes and I just focus on my breath. What I'm trying to do is create a brainwave pattern that is what they call theta wave. So now I'm getting out of problem solving and I'm approaching something that's kind of like sleep. And what ends up happening is that I get calm and creative. So by coming back to the breath, all of the like monkey mind stuff begins to go away and I'll just focus on the breath, focus on the breath, focus on the breath. But if I'm trying to solve a creative problem, before I sat down to meditate, I get a hold of either an image or a sentence that's very short that I can repeat. So if I'm writing something, like if I'm doing Coyotes of the Air Gap or something, I might have an image, let's say it's a character. And one of the characters in Coyotes of the Air Gap is Kavanaugh. And I had this obsession of him creating a, an energy dome over himself in the rain. And, but I don't know how does that plug into the story? What does that mean in terms of the lore? I don't know. And so there's two paths for me to move forward. I can journal about it or I can meditate on it. I always start with meditation because that's gonna bring me into that state where I'm calm and creative and the creativity seems to be, and I don't understand the brain science well enough, but my sort of layman's understanding is that creativity is not a new part of your brain um, going offline, sorry, going online. It's a part of your brain actually shutting down. And so if you take transcranial magnetic stimulation, you're actually disrupting a part of the brain. And you can take somebody who can't draw and suddenly they can draw like four times better. They're not gonna be Picasso, that's a terrible example since he drew so bizarrely. But they're not gonna be da Vinci, but they're gonna be way better than they were. So that tells you that the thing that stops you from creativity is actually an overactive part of your brain, not an underactive part. So the idea is to quiet the brain, begin to shut down, so the areas that would otherwise be inhibited from communicating now start communicating. So you get these far-flung ideas that begin to connect. And so now all of a sudden that image that I'm telling myself to come back to, come back to, it's, it, if I'm using a visual prompt, I'm not even using words. So I'm gonna articulate it in words now, but I'm really just trying to bring myself back to that image of Kavanaugh with the blue umbrella over him in the rain, bouncing off of this translucent thing. And then I know that what I'm trying to problem solve for is what does that mean for the lore or for the laws of the land? So anyway, without getting lost in the specifics of that moment, I'm just trying to do that. I come back to this image, come back to this image, come back to this image, and then your subconscious takes over. 
what you're trying to, what creativity, intuition, all of that stuff, all it is is the subconscious mind, which can process way more information, much faster than the conscious mind, will speak to you, not in the language of the conscious mind, which is words, but in the language of the subconscious, which is emotion and image. So if an image you know, is worth a thousand words, that's how your subconscious is able to chunk all of this massive amount of data that it deals with, that it can't, it can't give you the true thing through that really narrow pipeline of the conscious way that we think. So it, the, the words I always use, it coughs something up into my conscious mind, either a feeling or an image. When I have that feeling, then now I go journal, or I have that image and I go journal. Now I need to translate that into my conscious mind. So I'm gonna take this really narrow throughput of my conscious mind, and I'm gonna start feeding that huge reservoir of information that's in my subconscious into something that I can now manipulate. So you have this sort of deep sea of all this stuff going on in your subconscious, but you can't touch it, you can't manipulate it, you can't turn it into a photo, a video, uh, a story, right? It's, it's just emotion, it's just imagery. So you've gotta get it through that narrow pipeline into your conscious mind. For me, I use journaling. I, on Coyotes of the Air Gap, I journaled more than 20,000 words. That's a novella, okay? I could have published that. Of course, it's stream of consciousness, it'd be a total mess. But I was like, that's long enough. Literally, Lisa's book ended up being, I think, 60,000 words. So I was like, I wrote a third of a published book just trying to get my subconscious reservoir of what I could feel but I couldn't articulate into something I could articulate very simply. And when I journal, all I'm trying to do is say a single sentence. So it's you, because I'm writing story, it's usually a logline. But let's, to make it more useful for the average person, you've got a goal you want to achieve in your life, but you just have a feeling. I wanna impact people. People say that to me all the time. In what way? That's your subconscious. You know the feeling you want. You know when you did that thing that one time back in seventh grade, it made you feel some kind of way and you've been chasing that forever. The reason you're chasing it is because you've never taken the time to get that massive reservoir of information translated into something you can manipulate with your conscious mind. And the way to do that is to write, 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 until you can say the way you want to impact people in a single sentence, or what kind of movies you want to make, or what kind of parent you want to be, whatever your goal is. But to be able to say your goal in a single sentence without parentheticals, no run-ons, don't give yourself any room. Give yourself like 15 or 20 words. Once you can say it that succinctly, and it feels like a puzzle piece clicking into place, you know you've got it. But that's a long process, from forcing myself to get out of bed in 10 minutes or less, going and meditating, getting myself in a calm, creative state. Once I have that imagery, sitting down and forcing myself to write, 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 sometimes for days, weeks, months, until I can say that one thing in a single sentence. So here's I wanna jump in, because when you said all that process, I'm stuck at that first part, right? So when you wake up, the bed's warm, it's cold outside, I just wanna, oh, it feels so good. Yep. And then my phone's right next to me. Like, I can either get up and do the hard work of like, you know, getting ready for work and actually getting down and do the hard, like, yeah. creative thinking. Or, well, there's Twitter right here, engineered by billions of dollars to get, like, one extra second of my time. And in my mind, I might even trick myself saying, oh, it's work, I'm researching, I'm doing all this stuff. Oh, I know that trick well. <laughs> so, so my thing is, like, how do you even, you say there's rules, all this type of stuff. And I might know that, but, like, how do I actually implement it other than just 
just do it, right? Like the word is sometimes just do it. So I'm like, can I jump past that? Or is I there something else? I am deeply fearful that I am a freak of nature and that I just want things so badly that when I hear people ask that, I tell them, oh, you just don't want it badly enough. And I can walk them through the process of how I've built desire in my life. But I really do have a fear that I'm a super responder to desire. Now, for the sake of this, let's say that I'm not. Or let it be a filter to people that are also super responders, because I'm certainly not the only one. But the reality is, once you become goal obsessed, then it's like, I'm just not gonna be tricked by that. I'm not gonna be tricked by TikTok, which I'm obsessed. TikTok's amazing. You're selling your soul to the Chinese government, but they pay a fair price. That's how I think about TikTok. So I have to put rules around my life that say, hey, because I have all these excuses, it really is for work. I really do need to master TikTok. I need to understand the algorithm and all that stuff. But at the same time, I know that it will quickly suck away hours of my life. And if I'm honest, it's not super productive. So I'm going to put rules around it. And if I have to set an alarm, I'll set an alarm. You have 15 minutes to look at TikTok. And if you're in the middle of a video at the end of 15 minutes, you stop, just simple as. Now, because I am goal obsessed, I really want my goals. Like I, I really want my goals. Because of that, I don't have to convince myself of a lot. It's like, I know that if I stay and mess around on TikTok, I'm not gonna get my goal or I become way less likely to get it. So because I know that I'm having a biological experience, that my brain is often my enemy, I have to do things in my sober moments to put restrictions around. But to your point, how much you stick to the restrictions becomes the only game that matters. And at that, you just have to want it. So that's where I go into asking that question, right? So if we understand that it's a, it's a battle of like the short-term desire for the long, versus long-term desire, um, one I think you touched on with another answer, which is around clarity, like having clear, clear goals helps you know, make that bridge. But what else helps in bridging that gap? Is it just, I would hate for it to just be innate of like, oh yeah, you just did not eat the marshmallow and that's just yeah. your lot of life. But how do we improve the ability to not eat the marshmallow? Like what is there anything So I'll walk than... you through the process of desire because ultimately the process of building desire is the thing that allows you to not eat the marshmallow. So one, I wildly distrust myself. So I was diagnosed with ADH, sorry, I was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder when I was a kid. That would almost certainly translate today into a diagnosis of ADHD. So I really struggle to stay on task. So this is something I've had to put a lot of rules around in my life. So because I distrust myself, when I have the impulse to do something, I ask myself, is this actually gonna move me towards my goal, yes or no? If it moves me towards my goal, then I'm gonna do it. But I also know that I'm prone to lie to myself. So, oh, would looking at TikTok right now move me towards my goal? Of course it would, I need to master the algorithm. 100% I should look. Okay, wait, you're prone to lie to yourself. So did you make a list of the important things that you should be doing? Yes. Do you have a calendar that tells you what you should be doing right now? Yes. So like in my calendar, I have a time that says important things. It's a free form thing. So it's the moment where I'm most likely to get myself in trouble because I'm not doing the things that I should be. So I keep a list of important things that are listed in order of what I need to execute against. So I'm goal obsessed, and to get goal obsessed, I built desire. To build desire, you do the following. You need to say internally, this is my goal, and I'm obsessed. Now hopefully that hits everyone listening to this is stupid. So basic bitch that it cannot be true, but it really is true, you become what you repeat. So I tell myself, this is my goal and I'm obsessed. 
Then I tell other people, this is my goal, I'm obsessed. I'm building the next Disney. You've heard me say that a couple times. So, and I'm obsessed with Disney. Okay, that's the first part. But that's not gonna get you very far. But if I do this, yo, I'm gonna build the next Disney. And let me tell you why. I'm gonna build the next Disney because I used to Big Brother for this little kid and I watched his zip code eat him. Did you guys know, for real, this is actually true. Right now, in the entire Western world, your zip code is the number one predictor of your future success. Now, what I'm doing is embodying the way that I want to feel. At the beginning, people need to understand, in the beginning it felt fake to me because I was walking myself through the process of building desire. I was saying it internally, I was saying it externally, and I was embodying the thing I wanted to feel when I said it. The way that the brain works, it will justify whatever you do. It's one of the worst things about the brain. It's amazing because of the psychological immune system, but the psychological immune system's job is to keep you from committing suicide. It is not to help you get ahead in life, unfortunately. So your psychological immune system is gonna come up with a justification for why you do whatever you do. You can actually, there's a study done on this with patients that have an inability to turn short-term memory into long-term memory. So you can re-meet them every three minutes and they will not remember meeting you. So a doctor will walk in, they will put a pin in his hand, he shakes your hand, it pokes you, it hurts, you come back three minutes later, you don't remember meeting the doctor. He extends his hand to shake your hand and the person with the selective or the memory damage won't shake his hand. So you ask, why won't you shake my hand? Oh, I don't like to shake the hand of people in white lab coats. Oh, I don't shake the hands of doctors. Oh, my shoulder's hurting today. I just don't feel like shaking hands. They're all lies. But the person doesn't realize that they're lying. Now, once you understand, it's easy. You wanna be with that person and just be like, oh, well, they have brain damage. Of course they do that. No, 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 we all do that. At the risk of derailing, if you, there's a thing in your brain called the corpus callosum. It connects the left and right hemispheres. If you sever the corpus callosum, that person gets multiple personalities that can argue with each other. You get a left brain, let's say, that's completely religious and a right brain that, a right brain that is completely atheist. And the voices in your head will argue about the existence of God. You can show one, one eye, and it's the opposite, but you show them in one eye like a pair of scissors. And if you show the side of the brain that can handle language, the, it won't know the shape, but it'll tell you, oh, it's a pair of scissors. But you'll be like, I, I actually, I have no idea what you're showing me. I'll just take a guess, scissors? Yes. You show it to the side of the brain that can handle shapes but can't do language, and you'll know exactly what it is, and you can draw it, but you can't tell them it's a pair of scissors. It is crazy. The brain is insane. So once you understand that you have all these weird things happening in your brain, and one of them is that it's going to make up an excuse a justification for whatever you do, you can now leverage that. So as I tell people, yo, I'm really hyped about this thing and it's because of your zip code and like I really think that I can help people get an empowering mindset through story at scale. They're gonna escape their zip code. It's gonna be amazing. It makes me feel the way that I wanna feel. I'm gonna be able to contribute. This is amazing. Now all of a sudden, six months into that repetition cycle, I actually started feeling it and it wasn't fake anymore. And I actually felt that like high level of energy every time I would go to explain it to people. I did the same thing with Web3, getting really excited about what the future is by telling myself internally, explaining it to other people and embodying the emotion. And then just repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. By doing that, the emotion becomes real. But all of this is why I am begging you as people that I love and care about, please understand you're having a biological experience. If you do not master your biology, your biology will do all these weird tricks 
that were designed to keep you alive, and that's it. Not designed to get you ahead, not designed to help you with fulfillment, not designed to make you feel good about yourself. Designed to keep you alive long enough to have kids that have kids. That's it, that's all you can trust your brain to do. But if you understand how it works, now you can really leverage it. Now I'm really gonna take us far afield. I've really been interested recently in looking up real microscopic footage of what's happening at the like endorphin level. Like as you really get down, what does happiness look like? And I found a video of what happiness looks like. And it is this really round bulbous protein with these like tiny little tendrils that walk along what kind of looks like the inside of a tank's tread. So it's like these little ridges. And so this weird little blimp-like thing with these two little sort of really long legs walk along that little tendril. That's happiness. Now, when you can get down to, there's no more abstraction. There's no more metaphor for happiness. There is an endorphin walking across a, you know what to call it, a molecule, an atom, whatever, a cell, some part of a cell, it's not even the full cell, some tiny, 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 tiny piece of the cell. And that makes you feel happy. It's like, oh man, I'm, I'm just being manipulated by my biology. So now it's like, okay, what can I do to take control of that? And that's my life. My whole life was looking around. So I'm working in this company. This company is now, we would call it a very toxic environment. It was exactly what I needed, so I'm only grateful. But it was vicious, to say the least. But phenomenal for what I needed. And I'm looking around, watching it just demolish people emotionally. And I'm like, why am I able to progress when it's just destroying other people? because I could self-soothe. But that's a thing at a neurochemical level. I don't know what I'm doing when I do it, but I'm able to make my brain squeeze the right chemistry. Laugh out loud, you will feel different. Smile, frown, man-spreading, it all works. And as you begin to build just tactic on tactic on tactic, you begin to really get a grip on your life and you begin to be able to get around or leverage maybe is a better word, the way that biology is. So do you think the habit of like having manifestations or repeating something to yourself in the morning or at night or listening to all these videos with the I am wealthy and this and that, do you think that really works? Have you used that before? The reason that anything that sticks around where people are like, does it work? It's because it works just enough that it stays in the culture but doesn't get you so far that it's self-evident that it's, oh yeah, obviously that's what works. So any wife's tale, things like that, there's some element of truth to it. Like my wife used to be utterly convinced that if you stood by AC, it made you sick. Now I will just tell you right now, that flies in the face of germ theory. I promise you, AC does not make you sick. Germs make you sick. But is there a reason that she's been taught by her mom who was taught by her mom that air conditioning makes you sick? I have a hypothesis. 
If you're standing too close to like constantly blowing air, it could dry out the mucosal layers in your nose and in your throat. And where do you get the like rhinovirus in your nose and in your throat? It has to take hold in those specific kind of cells and the mucosal layer is exactly what stops it from happening. So is it possible that that's what's going on and that's why the wives' tale is air conditioning makes you sick? Maybe, but we know now that germ theory is actually what makes you sick. So yes, repeating uh, I'm rich, all that, it puts you in a different mindset. It puts you in an optimistic mindset. Now, you have to be optimistic if you wanna be successful. Why? Because only behaviors matter. Only behaviors matter. You could have the worst mindset in the world, believe that you're the biggest loser, a total failure, but if you do all the right things, you will still win. But if you have the best mindset in the world and do all the wrong things, you will lose. So. You need to shift yourself into an optimistic mindset because it's gonna make you take the actions that will actually lead to success. But if all you do is repeat trite bullshit, which most of it is, you won't do anything. But when you encounter somebody like myself that knows half of the secret is real, that you need to be in a positive mindset, you need to be optimistic, you need to believe that putting energy and effort into something is actually going to work, and half of it is bullshit, you can manifest a parking spot, you can't, it's just that people leave a fucking shopping mall at a certain interval, and if you sit still long enough, somebody eventually is gonna come. So the people that think, oh, I'm just gonna pray for it, I'm gonna manifest, I'm gonna think about it, and it's gonna happen, it's not gonna happen for them. But the person who's like, ooh, I need to shift myself into believing that I can make this happen, and then they go ham, making it happen, they'll win. So it's half useful and half BS. And like anything, you've gotta find that breaking point. And if you find it, it'll work for you. And if you don't, you'll fail. Man, this seems like there's just so many things against you. Like, I, why can't it just be like, I have my goal, and then I'm just gonna follow your stack of things you just listed out. Yeah. And, but there's just like, just little things in the day that just like, pulls you away from it. You know what really makes me mad, Will? And there's no point in this making me mad, because this is dumb to be mad at this. If I just spoke in bumper stickers, I would be way wealthier but people wouldn't actually move forward because the bumper sticker becomes the second half of the secret, which is total bullshit. The reality is all the nuance. Like running a business is hard. You wanna know the hardest part of running a business? People. But is it people inside the company or is it selling to a consumer base that's constantly changing? It's both. Is it people externally or is it people me? That I'm fooling myself, I'm lying to myself, I have ego. Yes, all of the above. So how do you navigate all that stuff? Being a human is hard. Being a human is really hard. But if you fall in love with discovering how the world actually works, this is why so many people say that curiosity is like the soul of success. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions, and I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing, and a big part of that strict diet is high-quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free and wild-caught seafood, 
all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Because if you're genuinely curious, like think about, it's kind of weird for somebody to be like, yo, I need video footage of what an endorphin looks like moving through my brain. But like, I really need a video footage of an endorphin running through the brain so that I could understand like, oh my God, that is what's happening. For me, once I can visualize it, then I can leverage it. But if I don't really understand it, I exist in metaphor. And when you're existing in metaphor, it's useful, it's very helpful. Analogies, metaphors are super helpful to chunk very complex things down into something that you can take out of your subconscious into the conscious mind. But 
Like you're gonna have to get beyond that to the point where you can build tactics. And take Andrew Tate for a second. Just enough like useful, real information that he really caught fire. But he exists at like a level of it's repeatable, it's jarring, it's inflammatory, but it's not tactics. And so when I think about, if you really wanna give somebody relationship advice, you've gotta get down into the tactics of how do you actually navigate something. Like I wanna see him out of character, where, cause I actually saw him break character one time, it was really interesting. And he switched into like a normal person and was like, well, okay, actually, I don't know that I would do that. He was talking about like his kids and like kicking them in the face or something if they weren't tough enough or something like that. And he was being interviewed and the woman was like, would you really do that? And he was like, well, okay, I'm not sure that I would actually do that, but like what I'm trying to, and I was like, that guy, I wanna to talk to that guy where, okay, now we're getting into the nuance. Now we're getting into the complexity because if you go kick your son in the face, he's going to hate you. And you might toughen him up, but you're gonna make him hate you. And so how do you toughen him up without making him fall out of love with who should be his, at you know, a certain age, like the person that he idolizes and looks up to? It's hard, man. The only impossible job is raising children. But anyway, to not get lost on that, all of life is nuance. All of life is complexity. And if you have the genuine curiosity and you're willing to get in there and run the scientific method, everything's gonna constantly come back to that, Run the scientific method of, I think the world works this way. Let me try it. Okay, that worked, but it failed at a certain point. Why did it fail there? And always, it, I'm not worried about how it failed there from something I can't control. What part of what I can control, what part of this was a failure of me that I can get better, that I can shift into skill acquisition mode, now I can get better, and I can go execute. But the problem is people lie to themselves or they don't have the stamina to acquire skills or they have the guts and the fortitude to take the first step onto the, the oceanic planes of self-improvement, but then they diminish themselves because they're so angry that they're not the ultimate form of evolution. Like every day, every day of my life, I am so angry that I'm not performing at Elon Musk's level. I am furious but I can either let that tear me apart or I can let it inspire me. But if most, not most people, there is a very loud contingency of people that look at him and wanna find every reason to discount what he's accomplished. That's madness. I'm just looking at, okay, how do I get a little bit closer today? Even though I am filled with rage, I, I hate that he seems like he is just farther ahead of me on a genetic level than I am. Like I'm doing everything I can, Will, with the hours that I have every day. And I just feel like he's receding into the, the horizon. So, so why, are you, why are you not there yet? Is it just, you think it's just biology that he can just process more information than you? That wouldn't be helpful. So even though that's my, my base assumption, if I'm completely honest, is that all of us are dealt a hand of cards and we're 50% hardwired and 50% malleable. And I think that the 50% that's hardwired, while he warns people, don't want to be me, that the way his brain is just constantly firing ideas, he says, and I have no reason to believe that it isn't true, it's not fun. And that he's just trying to make the best of a bad situation. Fair enough. But from my vantage point, that's so exciting. 
I want my mind to kick off more ideas, but I really do think it's, I have met the edges of my ability to process raw data and I find myself wanting. I am a deep thinker, I'm not a fast thinker, and that really bothers me. So it takes me a long time to sharpen my thinking on a topic. Now, I should just be grateful that I can sharpen my thinking on a topic, but I do spend a very distressing amount of time being annoyed. So I do think that, yes, that's gonna be part of the punchline, but my advice to myself and everybody else is to remember that while you're 50% hardwired, you're 50% malleable. And to build your habits, your routines, the rules in your life all around that you can 100X your ability in any area based on the 50% that's malleable. But it takes so much energy and effort and sustained effort to do it that most people will quit. Okay. So to try to um, like not summarize, but also catch up to where we're at. So the stack goes embody desire and then if you don't know what to desire, you journal about it. But why embody desire? What's the point of that? Because you just won't feel it. And yes. you're having a biological feel. experience. Yes. And so you have to make yourself do it. And then your brain will catch up with that. And then you'll feel it. You'll feel it. That's the key. Because here is the, the hard reality of life. Like you said earlier, it's hard. Why are so many things stacked against you? If you're trying to have outsized success in your life, there are so many things stacked against you, it's inhuman. The easiest way to sum it up is the second law of thermodynamics is that everything moves towards chaos. Okay, mm -hmm. if all things at all times are moving towards chaos, and that's just like planets and all that, and then you introduce the human mind, which is the most complex thing in the universe, and now you put 7.4 billion of those basically fighting you at every conceivable turn, this all gets really hard. And so you will want to give up a million times. And if in that moment you don't feel enthusiasm that is overwhelming, you will quit. Well, I have literally been, not in the fetal position, that would be an exaggeration. I have literally been on like the, instead of sitting up, do you know how depressed you have to be to kneel on the floor instead of sitting on the couch? Like where you're just, Oh God, everything in your life sucks. I have knelt on the floor before the couch and wanted to cry, just wished that I was a crier because I could not get the feeling out of my body. And the only thing in those moments that keeps me going is being so obsessed with my goal that when I focus on that glowing hot ember at the center of my life, it's enough. But if it isn't enough, you will quit. This is why almost everybody quits at everything. Yeah. They all give up a New Year's resolution. They all quit the big goal in their life. They all quit. I'm getting emotional right now. People quit, dude. It's so heartbreaking. My mission in life is to get people to understand that they're having a biological experience so they'll do the things they need to do to not quit, to just have the juice to keep going. But dude, there's a lot of things stacked against you. So the most important thing, if you don't have that desire yet, the most important thing you can do in your life to build success, the most important habit is to embody that desire loop for the next yes. six months, a year. To, to have a habit system 
that makes the feeling you need to feel to keep going visceral. You feel it in your gut. Like nobody could tell you to stop because you really are excited. Like the things that I'm excited about, I'm legitimately excited. And people can't stop me from being excited. Like if you ask me, like right now, we're recording this in the middle of the most bear market of bear markets. Even people in Web3 now are like turning on each other. It's super weird. But you couldn't make me not be excited about it because I've spent so much time thinking about what the technology is going to let us do and how I'm gonna leverage that to have the impact that I wanna have on the world and quite frankly just Telling stories is so exciting to me. And so when I talk about it, I feel the thing I wanna feel. So now, if I just start telling somebody what my vision is, I get re-excited. I don't do it on purpose anymore. The first six months, a year, whatever, was so intentional. Like having to remind myself, this is why I'm doing it, this is why it's exciting, ah, repeat, 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 repeat. But now, if somebody asks me about it and I just start talking about it, I can't help but get amped and enthusiastic. And so something that you and I say a lot that we stole from David Goggins or David Goggins graced us with to carry the boats. I'll fucking carry all of Web3 if I have to. I will drag them into the future. I don't need them to support me anymore. I don't need the energy to come back from them. You have to, whatever the thing is that somebody wants, it has to be that visceral where, and. May I take us into deeper waters? You have to be able to create an image in your mind that makes you feel so aggressive. I like, I, I rightly get accused of speaking in war language. And the first time somebody said that to me, I felt guilty. I was like, ooh, that's kind of gross. Maybe I shouldn't do that. And for a long time, I was like, yeah, I need to find a better way to say that. I'm unapologetic now. I imagine myself as a warrior covered in the blood of those who are trying to stop me from having the impact that I wanna have on the world. Now, I don't mean that literally, I am not going to kill, violence is a mistake, but having that level of intensity to bring people together, to help people, and I do admit, I do, that imagery is very evocative, and so I very much think of myself with a fucking sword in my hands, dripping with the blood of the weak people who are trying to stop me, Will. That gets me going. Right now, I, look, you can actually <laughs> see the hair standing up on my arm. That gets me, I'm sweating. That gets me going. And so I feed that image into my mind so that in those moments, I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I can lean into that dark energy. I can keep myself going, but I do it so much. It is so visceral. It is so real that I feel it when... When I need it, it's there. And I can think of myself with that sword, having to just go through all the obstacles, covered in blood, hearing the lamentations of those who would try to oppose me. I can only imagine what people are thinking right now. But that works, it works. And if people can internalize that level of intensity for the beautiful thing they want to do, I wanna reinforce that. It is a uplifting thing. I want to bring people together but it's hard. And so you have to be able to generate that level of intensity to get to the other side, to keep going, to, to overcome the second law of thermodynamics, which is that all things move towards chaos, entropy. What's the answer? You have to pour energy into the system and you have to pour that energy into the system in a very specific guided way. If 
when people are trying to like tear you down or just like forget that because I'm not a victim. When things are just hard, when I'm an idiot and I keep making mistakes, when I'm embarrassed, how do I have the energy to keep going? I have to see myself as that warrior. I have to be willing to be covered in my own blood. I have to be willing to keep pushing and going and being able to channel that Goggins and to find that gear and to shift into it when I'm on my knees in front of the couch because I don't have the emotional fortitude to sit on the couch. I have been there. At that moment, I have to be able to channel that energy. So you're the king of momentum. How do you think about utilizing time to get all those goals and the desire and the things that you want to do and shrink that and make it happen faster? Okay, so number one, Peter Thiel gave us all a gift. And he said, ask yourself how you can make your 10-year plan happen in six months. Here's the caveat. The odds of you being able to do that are effectively zero. But it forces you to think in a whole new way. Because if you're thinking about your 10-year plan in 10 years, you think, okay, incremental progress. If you think about your 10-year plan in six months, you suddenly go, whoa, the way that I was going to approach this is not going to work. It was that idea that gave Lisa and I the idea of playing the game, no bullshit, what would it take? Because now, you, one, you have to be in solution mode. Momentum is all about, there is no impossibility. There are things I'm not willing to do, fair enough, but there's no impossibility. And if it is to be, it is up to me. And the warrior mindset. Like when I think about when, when impact theory hits those hard points and we're like, okay, we've got to get to that next thing. Like we're going in, we're in a recession. It is going to be a bloodbath. Impact theory is going to quintuple in size in the next two years. I will see to it. To do that, I have to think of a radically new approach because doing the things that we've been doing only better will get us to 50% growth in the next two years, but it won't get us to 5x growth in the next two years. So we have to come in with that mentality of like, okay, nothing is impossible. And even like, did you see what I did with my face? I do that subconsciously. I furrow my brow, I bring my chin down. I'm like, okay, we're gonna do this. I literally just tighten my toes. I start thinking about, okay, this is a different mode. I've gotta be, I can feel my brain speeding up. I start looking down because I'm trying to get into that space where I'm in problem solving mode. I don't wanna be distracted by anything. I'm trying to get into tunnel vision. What is gonna work? No, 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 that idea is not gonna get us there. It's not bold enough. Literally, I, this is what I'm talking about. I can squeeze the emotion. I just put myself into that mode right now where I could get us all together. Okay, guys, we're gonna solve this problem. Here is the truth. We are the problem. Now that we know that, What's the solution? How are we gonna to get to this? What are the realities that we have to face in business? It's funny, I'm actually shifting into this mode right now. So let me tell you how I think through this problem. I'm gonna slow my speech down because I know I'm being recorded. But actually to stay in the mode that I would want to stay in, I would wanna keep, keep speaking faster to match the speed of my thoughts. I'm gonna lay out the problem. What is the problem? I know that the biggest thing is gonna be me. But no bullshit. So what is it? What's going wrong? In our business, we're going in, so we take a lot of our revenue is ad revenue. Okay, so there's gonna be that apocalypse. That's coming. We can already feel it. We're coming into Q4 right now. Ad revenue should be going up right now. Ad revenue, just historically, it should be going up. You're coming into the holidays. Advertisers usually are spending a lot more money. Right now, advertisers are pulling back because they know that we're going into a recession. So it's all withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. Now, I can say, oh, hey, oh, bummer. Like, you know, we just need to survive. No, no, no. I've set a goal. We're going to 5X. 
So I've got to take that off the table. I'm not going to be able to count on Q4 just having a natural lift. It's going to be going down. What do I have to do to bring us all together? Okay, so ad revenue is going down. The next thing is going to be that we are, uh, a lot of our revenue in the previous year came from Web3. That's just zeroed. It, it, you count on nothing from that. Okay, so we've got the ad apocalypse happening. We've got no revenue coming in there, and it's all my fault. Amazing. So what do I have to change my behavior? Okay, without this becoming just all about that, that's how you have to think. What are the real problems? Stare them nakedly in the face. Get your brain moving at tempo. Bring as many good minds as you can together. Recognize you're going to have to overcome yourself, entropy, all of that, and you've got to take them one by one. What is the problem? What's a potential solution? Nothing is off the table. In the beginning, we just want to be in solution mode. I don't want to hear all the problems, all the reasons why we can't, First, we're going to come up with a solution that would work. When I have a solution, no matter how crazy, that we're all like, yeah, that doesn't violate the laws of physics, and if we could pull those things off, it would work. Then you ask the next question, are we willing to do it? If yes, immediately important things, let's break it down into increments of you know, what are the actual things that you can execute on, KPIs beyond the scope of a discussion about habits, but like we'd go into that mode. If we're not willing to do it, okay, cool but at least now we're in problem-solving mode. Which part of this are we not willing to do? Be very specific. That's the thing that we're not willing to do. Cool, what's the next best thing that we would be willing to do? Okay, well, we could do this. Cool, does that actually have the realistic chance of getting us to 5X, yes or no? Now that process, I'm making it sound easy. It's not, it's very messy. And as you get into that messy middle, you're gonna need a lot of really smart people to help you go through that. But you have to come into it with the mentality of a warrior, recognizing you are the problem, recognizing that you're up against entropy, recognizing you're having a biological experience, recognizing that this is all about getting your potential turned into actual usable skill set. I mean, it's, all, it's like 30 things on repeat. You just have to know when to pull what thread together. But what is the thing that makes me the king of momentum? That I come in like that warrior, knowing that anything is possible, that you have to be in problem-solving mode, and that I am, I know I can always count on one thing. You can't break me. I've proven that to myself over and over and over and over and over again. And you have to earn that in your own life. Like I can say that there, I have no idea how many people are gonna watch this, but they can clip this shit out. I live my life, I've lived my life now for almost seven years in front of the camera, making really bold fucking statements. Call me to task. I live the life that I say that I live. So I don't give up. I don't quit. I'm wrong a lot. I embarrass myself a lot. I make all kinds of mistakes. But I learn and I get better. And so I can create that momentum because I, you're not going to be able to break me. I come in with a level of intensity. I know that problems can be solved. I know that I'm one of the biggest problems. And I bring smart people into the room. And I force everybody to enter my reality distortion field. And then we just go, go, go. I think the solution, the solution part is going to be very interesting. Can I just throw you some goals and then you go to problem-solving mode? Um, let's, I know one of your goals, Axel. Let's say direct a massively uh, box office successful movie in the next 10 years. Problem-solving mode. Let's go. So how do we do it in six months, first of all? Because by giving himself 10 years, he's going to play small. He's going to play the sort of safe route. Now we have to figure out, okay, let's define terms. If we're looking for box office success, 
you're now putting yourself in the traditional Hollywood system. So you're gonna have to get a lot of money, right? So you can, there's two things before you. You can look at what's popping off at the box office and really performs big dollars, or you can say, I, what I really mean by smash at the box office is differential between cost and what I make. So I wanna make, let's say, 10X my money in the next six months. Okay, well, if you make it for a dollar and you make $10, you just made 10X. If you do 1,000, you make 10,000, and so you find what actually is your goal. Because if you go, if I make 10,000, this is not interesting. What I really want is a worldwide phenomenon. It's maybe it isn't the box office that you actually care about. Maybe it's eyeballs on the film. Okay, well then YouTube, look at Mr. Beast gets 100 million views on things that really pop off. Would you be stoked on that? So it's like figuring out what really the goal is because a lot of times people have this vague amorphous goal. This goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Clarity, write down in a single sentence, no parentheticals, no run-ons. What is your real goal? Get 100 million people to watch a piece of creative content that I love in the next six months. Okay, now we can that would be way more realistic, by the way, because getting a box office smash in the next six months, it's not impossible, it does not violate the laws of physics. But oh my God, I start thinking, okay, do we kidnap one of the like big guys and like they have to like make sure that we let, like even filming a film in the next six months is already gonna be hard. But it's like, that's the kind of stuff that you really start looking at. But you will notice, I would, I go to, okay, could we kidnap somebody? Like what would it blackmail? Now at the end of that, I'm gonna say, I'm not willing to do that because it violates my ethics. But what it does is it puts me in problem-solving mode. So many people go immediately to, well, I wouldn't do that. Jesus, like you're just in no mode. You have to, and this, by the way, not to throw David under the bus, but if I have a, a fragile idea and I'm like, yo, I've got to pull this off in the next six months, I'm going to go to you. Because you'll go into like, yeah, how would we do that? Like you'll get swept up in my madness and you'll join me in that but I'm not gonna try to execute until I go to David. And I say, hey, we've got this crazy idea. We've put it together. It will work, but should we do it? And then he'll be like, guys, have you thought about this, 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 this? You must seek disconfirming evidence. But anyway, the question is goals. So you've gotta do that. You've gotta run through like real solutions. How are we gonna pull this off? Get as crazy as you can. It's gonna put you into like, Okay, what are the big problems that we're up against, right? You're gonna immediately see, when you give yourself 10 years, you can sweep under the rug how expensive it's gonna be. You can sweep under the rug how hard it will be to create a piece of creative that's that amazing. Once you bring that timeline to six months, you start going, this would have to be something that people would fall in love with. This would probably have to be something that could go on a platform that could go viral from nothing. That's not movie theaters, that's YouTube. Do I? Would I be into YouTube? Does that actually scratch that itch? And so that forces you to get clarity on what you really want, and so you start going through that. Then if you get to, no, traditional Hollywood system, I want a movie, I want it to be a longer form movie that I can really do three-act structure. So you start getting really specific. So let's make this hard. This is my favorite. Face the most difficult scenario. So I want to do, instead of six months, the shortest period of time to get a major theatrical lease, release with a major studio in a traditional storytelling format. Awesome, right? Nice, simple, easy description. Can say it very concisely. Now I'm gonna start breaking down what, what do I have to create? I need a screenplay, right? Because we all know it starts with the idea. I'm gonna need to package that up. What does packaging? And by the way, most people probably don't even know this stuff. 
So now they're going, I don't even know. And now I'm paralyzed because I know what I want to do, but I don't know the first step. This was me in the late 90s, which for everybody that's listening, like the late 90s, Jesus, that was a different century. So in the late 90s, you, this, this is going to be unbelievable. But there was a time where a phone didn't record an image. A phone just allowed you to hear somebody's voice. So there was no going out and recording a film. I had no idea how to break into the film industry. None. I, I was just paralyzed. What's the first step? And somebody was like, oh, get an agent. How do you get an agent? I didn't know what the first step was to that. We didn't have the internet. You do now. So you look up. How do you get an agent? How do you break into the film industry? Whatever. And you go through the process of learning something totally new, which has a process. That process looks like this. I'm going to give it in a nutshell because it's outside of the scope of something about habits. But the nutshell goes like this. First, you have to learn the lexicon. What are the words? I don't even know what the right words are to use for this. I just went through this yesterday. I wanted a, a really warm sweatshirt for the winter. So I typed winter sweatshirt, but all the images weren't right because I was using the wrong words, but I didn't know it. So I'm like, okay, I know this drill. What's the right lexicon? So winter sweatshirt with furry insides. Oh, okay things start popping up to say fleece. Oh, that's called fleece. Amazing. So I start searching for winter jacket with, or winter hoodie with fleece. And I keep getting zip ups. I don't want a zip up. So then I realize, oh, the ones that match the image that I want are called pullovers. Who would have known? So I want a winter fleece hoodie pullover. Word. Now the right things start coming up. But a lot of them have sleeves that don't have the fleece. I'm like, what? So then I realized that you wanna start looking for Sherpa fleece sleep, right? And so you just, you start learning all the words, but I didn't know the words in the beginning, but you just start picking up on little cues. No matter what you're trying to learn, just go to YouTube, start typing in the dumbest search you can think of, look at the results. Most of them are gonna be frustrating because it's not what you're actually looking for. You're gonna see ones that actually contain cues. Yeah, 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 like that one. Okay, well, what did that one have? in the search term that the other ones don't. You learn that word. Now, once you have the lexicon of the world, you can start doing really qualified searches. Then you're gonna start finding the people that talk well on the subject. So now you narrow down this infinite world down to the really smart search, down to the three or four people that are really talking about this well. Then once you have a general scope of sort of the 360 of the topic, then you can start niching down into getting into what you want. So how do I do a film in the next 12 months? You're gonna take that on. Oh, it's, oh, I need a screenplay. I don't know how to write. Okay, whenever you don't know how to do something, there's always two options before you. Number one, learn it. Number two, hire or partner with somebody that already knows how to do it. So if he's not a writer, he can go find somebody that knows how to write. If he's a writer but doesn't know how to direct, he can go find the director. So you get the scope of the world, you figure out what parts of it you're going to contribute, what parts somebody else is going to contribute, and then you make sure that you have a no bullshit plan that faces nakedly your own inadequacies, the things you're gonna have to learn, and the things that are gonna be hard as hell. Budget, where is he gonna get? Dude, do you know how much they spend on an Avengers film? It's like $350 million just on marketing. So you've got the, you know, whatever, 250 million in production, another 100 million in like finishing off all the uh, shots and all the things you have to get done, plus another 350 million in marketing. You're in for over half a billy just to get that thing in theaters. It's crazy town. So 
But that's how you make one billion, two billion at the box office. That's hard. You're gonna have to overcome that. That ain't gonna be easy. But if you don't face that, you're, you're making believe. So when I talk about we're trying to build the next Disney, I'm like, dude, Disney is a formidable foe. I was actually at a party. This is embarrassing, but true, so I'll tell it. I went to the, thanks to Jim Quick, shout out to Jim Quick, got me into uh, the Endgame premiere. And everybody ever involved in that thing was at the Endgame premiere. Now, I'm trying to build the next, this, the next Disney. This is my rival. And I'm there, and now I'm in awe of what they've done because I'm not a fool. So I don't look at the people doing what I want to do well and discount them. I look at them and go, what can I learn? Like, this is incredible. You guys are amazing. I'm going to beat you, but what you've done is amazing, and I honor you. So I saw... uh, Bob Iger. Bob Iger, thank you. At the height of, like, he's at Disney, he's running the show. And I'm like, holy shit, that's Bob Iger. (laughs) And he turns and looks at me, and I'm like, ooh, lower your voice a little there, fanboy. And so... uh, I was like, I need to learn from this guy. He is a formidable foe. And Kevin Feige is a formidable foe. What he has done is unbelievable. They have a 90-year head start. They have accomplished unreal things. Billions of dollars in revenue a year, an ungodly number of business units, founded in 1923, uh, billions of dollars in IP, infrastructure out the wazoo, it's incredible. And what they're doing is amazing. So to look at that and come up with a real plan that connects, start company, get EIN tax number, hire first employee, build plan for how we get revenue, build YouTube channel, but that must take me all the way, it's a 70-year plan, That must take me all the way to building my version of Disneyland, which of course will be in the metaverse. But like, that's a lot of steps. So how do you have to stand before the oceanic plains of death before you and have the willingness to go, oh yeah, I'm not capable of doing this yet. If I step into the unknown, actually, I was going to say, if I step into the unknown, I will die. That's not true. If I were to run stupidly into the unknown, I will die. But I have to take the first step and then learn enough to take the second step and then learn enough to take the third and learn enough to take the fourth. But you have to face the realities of the difficult task before you and then break it into what skills must I acquire or hire? And that's it. But most people lie to themselves, allow the fear to break them, or, and this is what happens to most people, they just get tired because they don't want it badly enough. It's crazy how much value is in this. I mean, I'm just staying silent because I'm like just taking notes of like, I could write a whole essay about like each section that we just talked about. But kind of going back to what kind of ticked me off was like, life is kind of like a solar player game in my head, which is it's all about self-awareness, knowing yourself. But then another big portion of that is how do you continue to build on top of that? And that's where, you know, beliefs, character traits, uh, skill sets come in and you touch upon like how to actually manipulate all those. Uh, But another big part I was curious about was not only your internal environment, what you feel like you control, but also how do you manifest external environment that continues to reinforce that internal environment. And so, you know, that for me is like even just listening to a video like this or going into a Discord server or or like taking a course or something like that. Now for you, has there been anything in your environment that you've like kind of curated to just continue to stack and stack? Um, Everything in my life is curated, everything. 
the most important choice that I made was my wife. Mm. There's no decision in my life that has had deeper ramifications than the person I've chose to share my life with. So choose your friends and your significant other wisely. You're looking for one thing and one thing only, and that thing is a growth mindset. That's it. You're not looking for people that already have it figured out. You're looking for people that go, oh, word, I can learn? That's it. And if you find people that can learn, you're in business. And then cultivate that over time, and you have to invest, and you have to spend time, and you're, it's going to take a long time. But you've got to trim the people out of your life that aren't adding value. If people saw how I train the TikTok algorithm to make me a more powerful instrument, they would be very impressed, I like to think. Dude, I'm, if it shows me something that's mindless, I like almost break my thumb scrolling past that shit. I'm like, do not show me things that don't move me forward. And if it's something that's like, yo, that was deep, like that really pushed me forward, I like it. I might follow them if I think that they're a rabbit hole that I want to go down, and I'm going to share it. And so, one, sharing it reinforces, which if you guys are with, you know, being that, being that Slack channel, I'm in there sending you TikTok gems, boys and girls, of like what stuff is really going to move us forward. There's so much incredible information. And so over time, the algorithm's like, oh, I know what you're into. And do that with every area of your life, right? Like, what am I constantly bringing up to Will? Do you guys remember the first thing that I said to him when I saw him today? Will, are you reading about Vietnam? So Will's from Vietnam. And I'm like, I want to know, which one of us is more into the history of Vietnam? I think it's me at this point, if I'm completely honest. But because now I've got somebody that I can bounce that off by planting that seed with him. Yo, I'm learning about it. Did you know this? Like, what do you think when you think about Ho Chi Minh and like, tell me something. Like, what's, what's the vibe in Vietnam about that, right? Legitimate curiosity. Now, the next time he comes across something about Vietnam history, he's going to hit me with it. So now I've got somebody who's empowering me. You and I, we go fucking way deep on Web3. So I've trained you. Like, hit me with that. What'd you come across? What'd you learn? You send me articles. You're constantly challenging my thinking. You're pushing me like, Tom, are you sure you're thinking about this in the right way? You've shaped my thinking more than just about anybody on Web3. But it's like, I trimmed that algorithm. I was pushing that. I rewarded you when you would bring to you, hey, yeah, like, tell me more about that. And if you were derailing on something that didn't matter, it's like, I'd either bring you back or I'd ignore it, I'd walk away, whatever. And so like over time, we're all, people treat you the way you encourage them to treat you. And so if you're constantly like, oh my God, tell me more about that, like I wanna get that. Now you're learning. If you reward them for growing, if you acknowledge how they've helped you grow, now you get into this virtuous cycle. And I'm constantly like, if people watching this knew, you guys are way younger than me, but I will sit at your feet when you have something to teach me. I will acknowledge you publicly when you've made me more powerful. So I'm not just like, yo, look up to me. I'm like, I wanna look up to you. I wanna know what you know. I'm constantly trying to learn. And the secret is by doing that, you get all this information. People will give you so much knowledge, it's crazy. Like literally right now, I have been going for over an hour as fast as I can give the information away. People love to tell you what they know. And so if you just ask like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like get, think about how much you guys have gotten me to, to give away for free, like I'm, yeah, ah, because it makes me feel cool that I know it. It reinforces in me that, oh yeah, like actually that is what I would do. It's awesome. But you've gotta, you gotta curate that shit, man. There's a lot of beautiful people in the world that just aren't the right vibe for your algorithm. 
It just is what it is. And so I'm, I'm gonna test a new thing out where you guys know me, I'm terrible about spending time with people. I'm just so heads down on everything I'm trying to build. But I'm, what I wanna do is start getting more people so that let's say two or three evenings a week, just like it just is standard. I know that I've got at five o'clock, I've got somebody that's in my world that I want to get to know better or learn from or whatever. They're gonna be there. I'm gonna be able to develop that relationship more, learn, grow. But if you treat that the way you would treat an algorithm, where if the algorithm is just wasting your time, don't fuck with it. But if it's like, ooh, like this person either lifts me up, they teach me, they like, you're trying to break into film, other filmmakers, storytellers, whatever that inspire you, that hold you accountable, that push you, that could help you in the future, all that stuff, like put them in your life, nurture those relationships, but you really do have to be selective. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation, and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. One way I make sure my business is moving in the right direction is to ensure we are constantly becoming more efficient. Because in my experience, inefficiencies will eat away your profits and leave you with a dying business. But with the right technology, your business can get the insights it needs to become efficient and ultimately unstoppable. And that is why I recommend you check out NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all of it into one platform and one source of truth. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors that are massively inefficient. Guys, inflation is no joke. So check out NetSuite and see how you can cut costs and boost performance at the same time, like the 37,000 companies that have already made the switch. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Do not wait. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. So with your time, Tom, you're probably the busiest person that I know. And I see that you always- You're not spending enough time with Elon Musk. (laughs) Much to my dismay. I I like you better than Elon. So you always have these timers going off on your phone. Yeah. Give me like tactics of how do you manage your time in the like the nitty gritty of like I only do this at this time or I only schedule this kind of things at this time. How do you all organize that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the thing that you brought up is the one weakness in my system. The alarms are to compensate for a poor memory. 
I need a better system for that. It's actually been on my mind that I need to develop a better system because they inevitably go off at the worst conceivable time. And so then I'm just pushing, pushing, pushing. It's terrible. The system that I use that works is my important things list. So I have an important things list and it's in order of the things that I need to be doing. And I use a lead domino strategy. So a lead domino, shout out to Tim Ferriss who gave me that concept, is that there's gonna be something in your list of to-dos that if you do that, it makes some number of subsequent things easier to do. Uh, an easy example for me is in business. So if there are two things on your list and one of them is hiring, do the hiring first. That's the lead domino. Why? Because now you can get more done in the company because you've got another person, if you hired wisely, that is a very meaningful contributor to the things that need to get done. So now it's not something I need to do. I can outsource that to that person. So if I were to just keep going down my list, deprioritizing the hiring, I will forever have to do more things than I would if I did hiring first and then they can take off whatever percentage of things and now we're getting those things done in a, a simultaneous track. So critically important to everything you do, get very good at identifying your priorities. I've spent a lot of time getting good at prioritization. How? My superpower is that I don't mind looking stupid. I really think people underestimate that. I don't mind looking stupid. Now it stings. People make fun of me. And if you go online, there's no shortage of people in YouTube comments, Instagram, Twitter, pointing out all the ways that I'm moronic. And some of the times they're right. It really was moronic. And I really shouldn't have done that. And I really need to learn my lesson. Facts. But I do learn. And I get better. And over time, all the motherfuckers wasting time putting negative shit into the world, they're doing that because they need to for their own self-esteem. Whereas for me, I'm like, yeah, that really was dumb and that really is embarrassing and I really am bummed that I don't learn faster and that I'm not a super genius, but I keep stacking those skills. And so by stacking those skills, I get better. So I am getting that lead domino strategy. I'm willing to get that lead domino strategy by doing dumb priorities and going, oh, that was dumb, that didn't work. What would have worked better? Oh, I should have done that first, amazing. But because I'm not afraid to look stupid, I just try something. I just fucking put a priority. I'm never afraid to make a decision or put things in a priority order, and most people are. Most people are terrified, terrified to make a decision. Terrified to make a decision. Why? Because if they make the wrong one, A, it has real consequences. Let's not pretend that it doesn't, okay? I get it, it's scary. You have a reason to be scared. Let's set that one aside for a second. The other one is the likelihood of you looking dumb, pretty high. Because if you're not educated, you're gonna make a lot of dumb decisions. How do I know that? Because even when you're educated, you make a lot of dumb decisions. So my willingness to just go, uh, I don't know, so we'll put uh, C in position one. Oh, that didn't work out and I should have done B? Cool, but now I know. And so next time I'll be like, oh, I remember this, as Ray Dalio says, it's just another one of those. So now when I encounter that, I'm like, C goes in pole position, do that, or B, whatever. And you do that. And now you got a little bit smarter, but it's the superpower is the willingness to look stupid and the absolute, I hold myself accountable to the willingness to make decisions. Most people don't. So lead domino, important things. I do things on the important things list. I manicure that list at all times and I'm constantly looking at the data. Is it working? Yes or no. And then I try to surround myself with people that are way smarter than me and get them to give me good ideas. 
I had a question about your goals and like with the company, you have very clear goals. How often do you reassess those goals and make a change? And because sometimes do you feel like, well, maybe this goal needs to change. Do I change it right now or wait and keep working on something if it's not working? And how often do you reassess your, your own goals? Every single day. So you have micro goals. What am I doing with the next 15 minutes? You have medium-term goals. What am I doing this week? And then you have long-term goals. What are we doing for the quarter or for the year? The things at the quarter or the year level, I don't change very often. You give people whiplash. And those should be very well thought out anyway. So those most of the time, you're going to see those through. Not always, but most of the time. The midterm goals, what am I doing this week? That's all data-based. Is it working or not? Did we get the right results, yes or no? If no, change. If yes, keep going. So those are just data-based. Then you've got the micro goals. Those are changing a lot. So it's like, oh, I finished that. I'm moving on to something else. Um, actually, I just thought better that that wouldn't have made any sense. I'm doing this. But the micro goals are usually internal. I'm not communicating those to other people. So I'm the only one that has to worry about any confusion that changing there might make. When you do change goals for yourself, you want to make sure that you're staying true to what your goals are. You should have crystal clear goals, three to five max And when I change that, does making this change move me more efficiently towards that goal, yes or no? If yes, I'm going to make the change. If no, maybe I'm getting too excited because that's what I'm prone to. Oh my God, new, shiny, amazing. I want to do that new, shiny thing. You have to know thyself, right? So I know that's my weakness. So I'll force myself to sleep on it, be like, mm. And if I am equally excited the next day, then I'll tell somebody about it. Hey, what do you think if we did this? I'm really excited about it. Ooh, you know, I'll decide whether this is a Will or a David moment. Am I going for somebody that I need to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's an amazing idea. So I get that enthusiasm? Or is it baked enough now that I need somebody that's going to try to poke holes in it? But you... Then once you have a goal that you want to change, you're going to communicate that very well to yourself, to others, whatever. So I'll document it. I'll reflect it on my important things. And then because I'm running a company, I will then articulate that to the team. Now, I have found you're only as good as what you write down. And even though I know that, I routinely make the mistake of just telling people verbally. So really get specific. Write this stuff down. That's hugely important. And then make sure that you have a level of consistency. Don't flit about, change so many things so frequently that you never make progress. Talking about habits, you always mentioned that sleep is very important. Could you talk a little bit about that and, and cover how you think about sleep and actual tactics and things that you do to help with that? You're having a biological experience. That's the first thing. So I, I am enraged that I have to sleep. There was this old thing called the book of questions. I want to create a new one. But one of the questions in the book of questions was, would you give up half of everything you own to never need to sleep again? And at the time, I said no. I was like, why would I do that? I love sleep. Now I'm furious because I know what I want out of life. And I'm so passionate about it that sleep just makes me angry. Despite that, the first thing I tell people is get sleep. You're having a biological experience. You will be suboptimal cognitively if you don't get sleep. So my sleep hygiene be on point. Uh, there's one mistake that I make, and that is stress. Setting that aside, everything else that I do is very sleep positive. And it goes like this. Sleep starts basically in the morning. So you need to go get sunlight into your eyes to set your circadian rhythm. So as soon as the sun comes up, I tend to wake up before the sun, but when the sun comes up, I get outside. It doesn't work through the window, at least not as well. Probably does have some effect. But get out, get the sunlight into your eyeballs, 
Don't stare into the sun, but look at the sky. Look at the sky, get the sun into your eyes. If it's warm, get it on your skin. All of that stuff helps to set your circadian rhythm. I intermittent fast, so I eat in a very tight window. So my average is about 17 and a half hours. That's including weekends where my window is, um, where my fasting window is shorter, my eating window is longer. But over the course of a week, it averages out to about 17 and a half hours. That was over 18 months where I tracked it religiously. I haven't tracked it in a while, but nothing has changed, so I will assume that's still the same. The reason that matters is I stop eating. I stop eating at about, I stop chewing usually around 1.30, 2 o'clock. Today's different because the shooting schedule got weird, but that's normal for me. But I don't go to bed till nine. So that's seven hours from my last meal to when I go to bed. Normally, right as I'm going to bed, I start getting hungry. And so I have sleep for dinner, as they say. I brush my teeth. That completely knocks the desire to eat out. And because I've had my normal amount of calories, I'm not actually like in a caloric deficit or anything like that. So I'm fine. So I'll sleep normally. I don't set an alarm. And about three hours before I go to bed, I'll wear blue blocking glasses. If I'm looking at a computer, my phone and my computer auto turn to orange light. I try to dim lights, not be around super bright lights. Uh, and then for the last hour, I try to be out of problem solving mode and into, I still work, but into a part of work that I love unless I'm feeling disconnected from my wife, and then I'll spend more time with her, which actually right now I'm in a cycle of spending time with her because I did eight months of 120 hours a week. Total mistake. I've done many, many talks on what a catastrophe that was. Nobody should be impressed. Everybody should be mortified that I was that moronic, just to make sure everybody understands. Uh, so right now I've actually been spending the last hour with my wife. Amazing. But in trying to get out of problem-solving mode, slowing my brain down. I listen to a book as I fall asleep because of the one mistake in my life, which is stress. And so listening to the book has increased the amount of sleep that I get. On average, I used to average about six hours, sometimes five times, sometimes seven, but on average six. Now I'm probably closer to seven because of the book. I don't know that I recommend it if I'm completely honest, but it is so effective for me because what used to happen, I have a very easy time falling asleep and a very hard time staying asleep. So I wake up every sleep cycle, which is about 90 minutes. So every 90 minutes I would wake up and then I would be awake. It was miserable. So even though I was getting six hours of sleep, it was broken and I'd be up sometimes for like two hours in the middle of the night. Oh God, I'd be in the gym at like 1 a.m. Long story. But I have rules around my sleep. So I go to bed at 9 p.m. like it's a religion. Always and forever, just I go to bed at nine. Of course, there are times that I don't, but for the most part. I don't set an alarm, so I know there's nothing that's gonna wake me up, so I'm relaxed on that front. I put the book in when I fall asleep. I sleep with my mouth taped so I don't breathe in through my mouth because that dries up my throat. That causes me to wake up. The book allows me when I start waking up and I'm like, oh, stress, no. Right now I'm reading about Vietnam. Really, that's what happened? Wow, so, and then I drift back off to sleep. Man, that works like a charm. It's incredible. Find the book that works for you. For a long time I was doing, if you want to try that, I was doing stories. Now I've shifted into nonfiction. Don't know why. It started working really well. Amazing. Uh, and then when I wake up, I work out so that I know that I'm going to be tired again at the end of the night. I go ham on my life so that I've really lived life throughout the day. I've got that huge window of not eating, so my digestion is totally relaxed, so I don't have that waking me up. Um, my circadian rhythm's on point. Yeah, those are all the things that I do. 
What are some habits you have around your relationship that have helped you stay in such a beautiful marriage for so long? Okay, so the fun one is sex. You're gonna wanna have sex. There's just no two ways about it. There's so much neurochemistry that goes into it and long-term relationships, because I've been married for 20 years, long-term relationships tend towards roommates. I have a real thing about, I, I don't think people think about sex in the right way. Dude, sex is a trip. Like really think about, there was a time where Lisa was just a girl that I saw and you have to go from, hi, my name is Tom, to what sex is. Like really let that sink in for a minute. That's a trip. Now, over time in a marriage, you forget like, what a, like you're crossing these crazy boundaries and you get this like crazy neurochemical rush. And if you let it become routine, you're missing out on like this really magical thing that you're doing that's like a totally different world from everything else that you do. Like without getting into it, think of, do you talk the same during sex? No way. You use a different voice, you talk at a different volume, you say things you would never say when you're not, like, like everything about sex is a total trip. And so you wanna remember that, you wanna keep that alive. You wanna keep that at the surface. You don't want that to slip into the background. Like you, you wanna remember like what this whole thing is. Like there's an energy to this. You wanna capture that so that you don't become uh, roommates. There's this whole concept of bed death where people let the bedroom part of the relationship die. All right, that's my perspective because I'm in a 20 year marriage. Like we really think a lot about that. No matter what stage of the relationship you're in, Communication is everything. Now what makes communication work is twofold. One, define your terms. You think you're saying the same thing, but you're really not. You're really not. You're saying the same words, but you're not saying the same thing. So you need to take the time to define, like what does the word important mean to Lisa versus me? What does I promise mean to Lisa versus me? Those things really matter. And so taking the time to define things like that, will you will reap huge benefits. The other part is communication is uh, all about getting to know your own insecurities. Because when you get angry, you're insecure about something. I've often said that's 100% true. There's things at the margin. But you should just assume it's so close to 100% true that if you're getting worked up, odds are that this is an insecurity that the person has touched on and you need to know what that insecurity is, why you're insecure about it, and while your partner, I think, owes you that they work with you on that, that they don't intentionally inflame your insecurities, but they need to be working with you. They can't make that insecurity go away and you owe them that that insecurity diminishes over time. If five years from now, your insecurity is at the same level that it was five years ago, that's bad on you. That's gonna be really annoying for your partner. My wife made that abundantly clear. I have an insecurity around my intellect and she was like at one point, you know that's not sexy, right? You keep bitching about it, it's not a turn on, please stop. Now she hates when I tell her that because she was really harsh when she said it. And the reason she hates me saying that is because she was so kind and so generous for so long and realized, well, that experiment didn't work that finally she was like, fucking stop. Like you've got to find a way to address that. And I did and it was life-changing. So yay that she finally played that card and that I got past that in my 20s. So you need to be working on your shit basically. So having that level of communication, and then the last thing that I'll say about that is never weaponize your significant other's insecurities about them. 
when you communicate, if you're identifying all of these insecurities that you have and you're saying them out loud, hey, I'm really pissed off right now, and you both know in the argument, hey, we both know that being angry is a sign of insecurity. What have I said that's triggered you? Or maybe you both know. But the person needs to get to the point where they say, sorry, I'm getting worked up about this. It's triggered this insecurity. This is what would help me in this moment. If people heard Lisa and I talk, they would laugh. They'd be like, there's no way that people actually talk like that. No, that's how we've been able to have a thriving marriage. But we sound like therapists being like, what I'm feeling right now is this, and I'm feeling it because you said that, and it made me feel really insecure about this thing, and I'm trying to work through that, and I promise that I'll do better, but like, here's what would be really helpful for me. But it starts with being angry and raising voices and getting annoyed and like all of the dumb shit. And then one of you, hopefully very, very quickly, is like, hey, I didn't mean to upset you. Or, hey, I let myself get upset. Let's unwind this, let's backtrack, let's figure out where we are. And so we don't get in those big screaming matches anymore. But you have to talk in an almost ridiculous fashion where instead of being at the, what we call talking about the T, where it's like, yo, I can't believe that you just did that thing. Instead you go, when you did that thing, it made me feel like this. Now, I own the way that it made me feel, but it did make me feel that way. And so this is where I'm at. This is what I would like. Is that reasonable? Yes or no? Sometimes it's not. And it's like, hey, as Lisa said to me, you need to, you need to deal with that insecurity. You gotta stop bringing that shit. It's really annoying. She didn't say that, but she said it wasn't sexy. That's a literal quote. So you've got to deal with that yourself, right? And begin to process through that, getting those times shorter. But if you do that and you have those communication hygiene and all that stuff, then you'll be able to have a very long thriving relationship where you're doing the things you need to do and the other person isn't weaponizing that insecurity against you, making you feel badly about it so you feel safe with them so you're able to be in this virtuous cycle of communicating like that, knowing that the person's not going to bludgeon you to death with it is very tempting. One thing I'm thinking through is, as, as I'm listening, um, I also know that you know, you've achieved a lot through, again, what you just talked about, the habits, the, the beliefs that you have, the character traits, all that. So when you look at someone else going through their journey of building these habits and uh, trying to become successful, what are the things that automatically stand out to you and you just can then slice them and be like, I know that person is going to do well. What are those things that kind of stick out? Do they have a growth mindset? So do they want challenge? Do they get defensive? If you get defensive, that's bad on you, ever. If you're ever defensive, bad on you. Is being offended the same as being defensive? Almost certainly. That's why that's one of the questions that I ask people. When was the last time you were offended? If you're easily offended, oh my God. It's a you problem. It's a you, meaning there are things in this world that are offensive. But if your initial thing is to take offense, which I think is the right way to think. You have to take that. You don't give offense, you take offense. If you're taking offense, you're allowing yourself to get emotionally worked up about something, which again, if you're emotionally worked up about it, the odds are that you've got an insecurity and somebody's touching on that insecurity. Instead, it's like, does getting offended by that thing move you towards your goals? If it does, then word, get offended. If it doesn't, even though you may have every right to be offended, it doesn't make sense to be offended. Like, let me tell you, that when I first started seeing people in the comments, I get offended by proxy when I see people attack other successful people. Forget 
even attacking me. When I see them attack other successful people and they're like, oh, the 1%, like they're like buying up all the houses and making it impossible for them. Like, oh sure, it worked for you, but like the society's corrupt. I'm just like, oh my God. And I would get offended because they're ruining their own life. I'm not worried about me. But then I was like, wait, why would you even get offended if they're ruining their life? Like, why are you annoyed with that reaction? Shouldn't your reaction be, why do they feel like that? What's going on? What's happening right now? There's something, they're not bad people. So something happening right now that is creating an environment that does make them feel that way. What is it? Now I'm in a different mode. Now I'm in problem solving mode. Now I'm like, I feel expansive. Now I like wanna give them a hug. I wanna wrap my arms around them and be like, yo, let's solve this problem. But when I'm offended, and it is worthy of offense, I'm gonna be really honest with you, that is such a dumb way to approach the world, it's ineffective. But by being offended by that, I'm not helping them, and my goal is to help people. So being offended does not give me what I need to go and move towards my goals, so why would I do it? I shouldn't. And so I think that when you get defensive, when you get riled up, when you get offended, it isn't taking you to where you wanna go. But the problem is, then why does it exist? Why does rage exist? Why does anger exist? Why does righteous indignation exist? It's really useful. My wife has a low tolerance for righteous indignation. It's very easy to trigger her sense of ought. The world ought to be this way, and it is not. What the hell is going on? And she goes in, sword, covered in blood, slay, slay, slay. And I look at her, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're getting so worked up at a time where it makes no sense. So I started asking, my wife is really smart. Why does she have such a low bar where she comes in just like slaying dragons? And I'm like, that's what you need to slay dragons. You need that like, I'm right. This is wrong. The world shouldn't be this way. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna mold it in my image. The will to power, ah. It's really powerful. And I was like, damn, like if you can get yourself into that mode, you can you'll have the energy to push through. Now it's completely dangerous and it's the kind of thing that leads to genocide. But if you can recognize when it becomes pathological and stop and recognize where it stops you from letting people step on your toes, take advantage of you, uh, damage your family, you know, come in. It's like, if everything were okay, oh, you wanna rape my wife? Word, like what would, there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. I would say, I actually agree with that statement, but I really discriminate against certain behaviors. So you have to understand it has power, but it also has pathology. And so recognizing where that is, being very thoughtful about that is incredibly important. Now to tie that all back together, someone's gonna have to remind me I was asking, what the, ultimately, when you see someone, what are the things that stand yeah, out? Yeah, okay, so if they get easily offended, that's somebody that's not in problem-solving mode. They're getting into their own, they're getting in their own way. So you have to be very careful about that. Not eating the marshmallow is another one. Being able to delay gratification. So I look for those. Now, Alex Hermosi gave me like the perfect triad, which he heard somewhere else, but since I heard from him, I, I like to credit him. And that is the people that are truly, truly successful have just unreasonable amount of belief in themselves, a terrifying fear that they're not good enough to pull it off, and the ability to delay gratification. That is so true. 
And for a long time, I was embarrassed by how fearful I am that I'm not good enough to pull off my goals. And then I was like, yeah, that's why I keep pushing. That's why despite all my success, I keep going. What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm on my deathbed? And I'm like, yo, you could have been so much more. And that keeps me going. And I know that acting like that has a point at which it becomes pathology, which is why when I was working 120 hours a week, I was like, ding, this is pathology. And so I went to my wife and I said, hey, I'm too stressed out. This is bad for our marriage. And I promise you, I will find my way back to you. And I did. And it's like, if you don't recognize that there's pathology, you drive yourself into an early grave. If on the other hand, you don't have any drive, it's just not a life I'm interested in. Be careful who you take advice from, because I'm never gonna be a monk, and maybe you wanna be a monk. Then I'm gonna look like a crazy man. Know thyself, know what you want, but those three things, if you want to achieve at the highest possible level, those are the three traits. When you see that in somebody, it's like, oh yeah, they're gonna go far. But I'm kind of sad for them in some way, because I'm like, you have this crushing insecurity that you won't be good enough. That's rad. Like, if, if you can back off the pathology of it, recognize you're having a biological experience, know that your mind is just fucking with you, and like, get control of it, it's rad. It's rad. And I thoroughly enjoy my ambition now that I have a better relationship with it. I think that makes a lot of sense because it all boils down to me like self-awareness, like knowing yourself to know at which point do you pass that point. But it's one of those things where I'm like, how do you actually cultivate that self-awareness? Because I feel like, you know, you might see it in them, but if they don't see it in themselves, like they won't make any changes because they don't see it. So is there something people can do to, to foster that self-awareness? I'm gonna answer a question you didn't ask. Okay. That's not why people fail. People fail because they don't have intensity. We're not teaching people to be hardcore anymore. And there's a really narrow band of humanity that's innately hardcore. Have you watched the show Yellowstone? Watch it. I think I just made a political statement and I didn't mean to, but Yellowstone, there's one line, spoiler alert, anybody that, is, that wants to go watch it, I'm gonna ruin it for you guys, but you're gonna love this line so much, it will make you go watch the show. I'm only in season one, but the line was so good that I turned to Lisa, because I'm offended that Lisa does not like the show enough. I am so into this thing. And there's a character in the show who is he's not innately intense, he's, he's a weak man. And they're basically forcing this guy to get hardcore. The show is so dysfunctional. I want everyone to know I'm aware of that. But going back to the imagery, me with the sword, all that, like crazy, it's useful even though I don't want to actually live it. This guy's weak. They brand him. They burn into his flesh the symbol of this tribe, effectively, the Yellowstone Ranch. And this kid, like eight or nine episodes in, he just hates his life. It's so hard and it's so painful. And he's, when you're first learning how to ride a horse, the, your inner thighs, it's unbelievably plain, painful. And so he can barely walk. And he's putting his head down on the horse. And he was like, I hate my job, I hate my job. And he's like crying and he gets bucked off a horse. And this other older guy comes up to him and he's like, becoming a man is tough business, isn't it? but it beats the alternative. And I was like, oh my God, yes. 
Now replace becoming a man with becoming hardcore is tough business, isn't it? But it sure beats the alternative because man or woman, if you don't have the intensity, the fortitude, the guts to stand up when the world tries to push you around, you will blow in the wind. But all of us have the opportunity to become so mentally tough that we can't be broken. I can't promise you that I won't lose, but I can promise you I won't be broken. That's available to all of us. And to get there, you have to cultivate that intensity. And that's why most people lose. They just, they don't make enough demands of themselves and they get annoyed with the world for being too hard. They get annoyed with people for having rough edges. They get annoyed with people for being difficult. They get annoyed that right, right now people have legitimate reason to be pissed. Like kids coming up now, this is a rough time to come up. You've got a right to be pissed. If you are, I remember getting asked by an African-American guy if he thought I thought things were harder for him because he was African-American. And I was like, you're a minority, of course. Being white in Japan would suck. It's gonna be hard for you. But now what? You have an excuse. It's a legitimate reason. The deck is stacked against you. You grew up in a communist country. You had to flee. You, if people knew your story, dude, it's amazing. You had a reason to say, it's never gonna happen for me, but you didn't. You fled the country. You found a way to get to freedom. That's what everybody needs to do. Even if the deck is stacked against you, I get it. The most terrifying things about excuses is that they're legitimate, they're valid. But if you take them, you won't get out of life what you want. And if instead you go, well, this sucks, I have to cultivate more intensity than the next person, but you do it anyway, fuck yes. You can get what you want out of life. Like that's it, you can, you can, you can get so good that you can't be stopped, but you have to get intense. Do you think, like knowing us three, just, just to make it more direct, like do you think, so I want to ask a question, like right now I feel extremely arrogant. Like I, I wish that I can get to the point where like I'm feeling like a loser because so, I know the tools to get out of it now. But do you think, um, like how am I going to fail and how, knowing specifically all three of us, like how are we going to fail? Is it the intensity or is it a different? Well, I wish I could give you the gift of doubt because there is no finer gift than somebody telling you and really believing that you're not gonna make it. It breaks most people, but for the people that really want it, like they use that in the darkest hour, I will not let that person be right. I can't give you doubt. You, I think you will be successful. You will build the skill set that you need. You've already shown a willingness to walk into the oceanic, planes of despair, you will keep pushing forward. You will get where you need to go. It's just a question of you, if you can survive the boredom. Okay. But outside of that, I have no doubt. And speaking of which, boys and girls, we are out of time. Habits are everything. Your life is controlled by what you do. Only behaviors matter. Get it right and everything else will fall into line. Until next time, my friends, be legendary. The best habit you could do right now is subscribe. Until next time, take care. Peace.